Thank you so much again for being here today. Thank you for your, your prayers and your encouragement as I've been out with a hernia surgery and I've tried to mostly do good. My daughter said her friend, her nurse friends are going, how's your dad doing? And she said, I think he's doing good, but he's prone to misbehave. So uh, we'll see. I go back to the doctor uh, tomorrow and we'll get a report from him and hope I can get back to work soon. But I'm so thankful. If you've ever been through a surgery like that, this was laparoscopic. The first one was not and laparoscopic is so much better. I'm so thankful for our brother Roger who preached the last two weeks. Pastor Roger will be preaching again next week. Always knocks a home run. I look forward to the day we can live stream. You know, the main reason we cannot live stream is the Internet out here is terrible. Uh, it's just it's not reliable. So we don't want to say we're live streaming and it not work. And then Pastor Matt, of course, wants it to be perfect before we do that. I'm okay just a phone. I'd, I'd be happy with the phone watching Roger on a phone, but because of technology, I was able to listen to the message later on. So if you ever miss, if you missed Pastor Roger's message on prayer last week, that's on our webpage. You can go and listen. So we completed our series on building blocks, basic building blocks of the faith, and we're going to begin a verse-by-verse study through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, but we decided to pause that until our students get back. Our students will be back in several weeks. Um, I believe it's the second Saturday in August, if you're available. We'll be up at Truett McConnell University. The entire student body will be there. We can set up our signs and our table and love on kids and invite them, the ones who already come here, and hopefully some new students who are looking for a church home because that is part of the vision of Transformation Church. Yes, we want to touch East Hall and beyond, but we want to be a laboratory for students who are studying for ministry to get some experience. And Lord willing, within the next five, six years, we can send some of them out to plant another transformation church. If the population of our county is indeed going to triple in the next 30 years, we must be about planting new churches. Take your copy of Scripture, if you will, and turn to Psalm chapter 8. I apologize that we don't have the screen that we normally have working, so I made you a little, a little handout there to help you follow along. And normally we have our lyrics in Spanish and English, and we didn't have that today, but um, Lord willing, we'll be back on track with all of that next week. But when you think about the goodness and the glory of God, how do you even start to describe that? It, 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 it'll blow a gasket in your brain. I was thinking about, uh, who remembers George Beverly Shea? George Beverly Shea that sang for the Billy Graham Crusades. and One of, one of his signature songs, I think, was The Love of God. And he didn't write the song, but the lyrics are, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, and it reaches to the lowest tail. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And my favorite verse is the third verse. It says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, an old-fashioned pen, and every one a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We don't have the human vocabulary to adequately describe the love of God or the glory of God and why he is worthy of our praise. And I think that was the dilemma that the psalmist had here in Psalm chapter number 8. It seems as he pondered the glory and majesty of God, he was just overwhelmed with that. 
Uh, something about Psalm 8. Psalm 8, you'll see, it's a messianic psalm, meaning that some of the, the there's a foreshadowing of the Messiah to come. We'll see that here in Psalm chapter 8. In many ways, King David, who wrote this, he's an Old Testament foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah to come, because Jesus came from the house in the line of David, and they had much in common. Both were born in Bethlehem. Both were temporarily rejected by their own brothers. Both of them defeated an enemy in the wilderness. Both were exiles before they were made kings. Both of them were beloved. In fact, the name David in Hebrew, it means beloved. David was a shepherd, and the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. So Psalm 8, we get a glimpse of the humanity and the glory, the deity of the Lord Jesus and the ultimate victory that he's going to win for us. If you're physically able, let's stand and read uh, just the first verse there of Psalm chapter number 8. We stand because we honor the reading of God's Word. Oh, the table had to fall over. Thank you. It's true for all people, for all places and all times. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Father, I thank you for glimpses of your glory. Lord, we don't, we don't have the ability as mere humans who don't yet have our glorified bodies to take all of it in. But thank you for glimpses of your glory in your word. Thank you for glimpses of your glory yesterday as you allowed us to love on our community and give them copies of your word and provide basic needs like shoes to a little boy who never had a pair of shoes. Lord, thank you for glimpses of your glory in the eyes of a child and the wonder of a child. Speak to us today. Give us a glimpse of that glory today and help us to respond and give you the praise that you deserve. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So why should we praise the Lord? I mean, we could be here until we drop dead. A lady told me last week, until my toes curl up, she said. This was a lady, by the way, you pray for me. I'm going to go on the road and take the message of Transformation Church to help us expand our scope in ministry. I'm hosting a dinner in Cordell in my hometown at the church that I was born into. Um, and I'm going to host a banquet there and tell some of the things that God is doing here. And that church's praise team is going to lead in worship. And that pastor will share a few words about why they believe in us and they've supported us financially and pray that God will multiply our reach as I do that in Cordell and working on doing one of those also in Warner Robins where we lived for 19 years. I want to get the message of the glory of God to everyone. Number one, we praise God. You see in your outline, praise God for who he is. If he never did anything for me, he's worthy of my praise. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God's name is often used as a cuss word in our society. People profane the name of God. If somebody cussed your mama, wouldn't you want to punch them in the face for doing that in the name of Jesus, of course, and ask for forgiveness? But if they cuss the name of God, we just act like it's not even a big deal for them to profane the name of the Lord. And it's just weird the way society uses the name of God. Insurance companies, if there's a hurricane or a tornado, what do they call those? Act of God. It's an act of God. Like, okay, you know, I mean, God is in control of everything, but it's like people want to profane his name. And a lot of society, they're kind of okay if you and I talk about God, just kind of a generic God. But listen, it's the name of Jesus. 
At the name of Jesus, demons flee, sickness flees, chains break down. When you start speaking the name of Jesus, we see God really move. Jesus is the only name given under heaven by which we can be saved. And the old preacher, one of my favorite preachers and commentators is J. Vernon McGee. He just puts the cookies on the bottom shelf where a normal guy like me can reach them. J. Vernon McGee says about Psalm 8, he said, I think when David wrote this, it was a foreshadowing of things to come. Because look at the society we're in now and how the name of God is profaned, how the name of God is mocked. We pray for our students and our teachers who go back to school. I think my daughter-in-law started, was it this Friday or Last Friday, I'm not sure when, but our people are going back to school. And I thank God for teachers like our daughter-in-law who love Jesus and they take the Holy Spirit into school with them. But here's the reality. God's been kicked out of our schools. You know, in the 60s when that, that atheist woman, Madeline Murray, here, made sure they took prayer out of schools, officially. I submit to you, as long as there are still final exams, there's prayer in schools. Kids are praying and asking God to move. But they can't talk about the Lord. God and Jesus have been scrubbed from our history books. That's why Deuteronomy 6, I'm chasing a rabbit here. Deuteronomy 6 gives the mandate to the parents to teach our children about the Lord. When they lie down at night, when they rise up, the Deuteronomy 6 mandate is we as parents are supposed to pour Jesus into our children. So his name and his word have tried to be scrubbed from society society, but we're still here. As long as there are Christians in society, there's hope. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 1 says, who have set your glory above the heavens. You know, I, I was, I think I was just a baby actually when the first man walked on the moon, so I don't remember that. But you were, I think it was at the first flight or one of the first flights, they actually took communion and had the Lord's Supper up there. And they talked about the glory of God and the worship that they could see there. You know, if we go beyond our atmosphere to the, to the second heavens, it's still nothing compared to what the real heaven is going to be. Like we're talking about heaven earlier this morning and what's it going to be like. And we don't know, the Bible says not the half has been told. But I can tell you this much, heaven will be heaven because Jesus is there. And he's the one who died for my sins. He's the one who makes it possible for me to go. You know, I grew up on Cemetery Road in Cordill, Georgia, way out in the country. Any of you live out in the country? I think y'all live, some of us live out in the country. There's just something about being out in the country at night. We had a trampoline. I remember <laughs> my cousin Sean's parents were at our house one Christmas Eve. And I'm like, they need to leave. Because until Patty and Phil leave, Santa Claus cannot come. I, I, I didn't get it all then. I thought, they're never going to leave. I'm never going to get the trampoline that we asked for for Christmas. But finally, we went to sleep. Sean's parents left, and, and they helped put together the trampoline, actually. That's why they were still there to help my daddy do that. But I would lay on that trampoline out in the country at night, away from the glare of the city lights, and just look at the stars and just fathom. I wasn't even a Christian then. The majesty and glory of God, the, the vast expanse of space, I just can't even take all that in. The whole creation is full of the glory of God. There's no place you can go that God didn't create. There's no place you can go that he hasn't already been there. The old British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote these words, and I read them to my wife and daughter last night. It just got all over me. He says, traverse the silent valleys where the rocks enclose you on either side, rising like the battlements of heaven, till you can see but a strip of the blue sky overhead. You might be the only traveler who has passed through that glen. The bird may start up affrighted, and the moss may tremble beneath the first tread of human foot, 
but God is already there. And a thousand wonders upholding the rocky barriers, filling the flower cups with her perfume, and refreshing the lonely pines with the breath of his mouth. I wish I had a vocabulary like that. I wish I could describe God like that. But there's no place on earth you can go that he's not already been. And if you do a study of the Psalms, you often see this word, Selah. It's a Hebrew word that means wow. What do you think about that? For me, this is a place for a selah. Wow, what do you think about that? So when we turn back to the text here, David, look at the way David addresses Jehovah God. There's a three-letter word there that blows my mind. He says, oh, Lord, what's the next word? Our Lord. The fact that a common, ordinary, nobody like me, a sinner who deserves to be in hell. I agreed to Mr. Campbell this morning. I said, I'm blessed. I woke up. I wasn't in hell, and I'm never, ever going there. What more could a guy ask for? Selah, what do you think about that? As majestic and unfathomable as God is, we get to call him our Lord, our God. He's a personal God. He's not someone out on a cloud in outer space that we can't reach. He's a personal Father. He's a personal Savior who wants to transform our life. That's the name of our church. We believe that Jesus can transform anybody and everybody by the power of his gospel. So, number one, we ought to praise him for who he is. Number two... What a praise God for the victory that we have in him. Praise God for the victory that we have in him. We're coming up on football season. You know, I'm a summer guy. I love the summer. I love the sun. I, I, I grieve when the summer goes away, but my consolation prize is football, okay? That means football season is coming. And believe it or not, my wife and I got tickets for opening night. It's a 6 p.m. game, not too late. And if you've been to Sanford Stadium with the light show, there's just nothing like it. We got tickets to go to that. And I hope that the Bulldogs can get a three-peat, three-time national championship, but I don't know that. The victory I have in Jesus, I know it is sure and it is settled by the blood of Jesus. Verse 2 says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He's just from the mouth of babes. I was hoping Desiree would be here today with Tiara, her beautiful little granddaughter. They were here a few weeks ago. The first baby born in the history of Transformation Church. She looks like a little baby doll, a princess. There's just something about a baby and the innocence of a baby that can quiet even a nasty gnarly bully this passage here is quoted in Matthew 21 16 that's when Jesus made the triumphal entry um, on, riding, on, riding on a donkey and so this again this reminds us this is a messianic psalm David's talking about them but he's also talking about something to come the triumphal entry I'm here to tell you the best triumphal entry has not happened yet. The best triumphant entry hasn't It's going to happen on one day when Jesus comes in to rule and reign for that millennial kingdom for a thousand years. But in Matthew 21, 15, as he rode in on the donkey, the kids were praising him. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, there are things about God that I will never understand. And people sometimes ask me questions that I can't answer. And I just have to tell them, if God were small enough, 
that a guy like me could explain everything about him, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. You know, kids don't have all that questions. We're talking about your grandson yesterday, Aiken, that was saved at a very, very young age, saved at a super young age. And Pastor Max, he talked to him, and he understood, and he got it. He, might, he can't explain the hypostatic union or the Trinity or any of those things, but the innocence of a child, they know that they're a sinner, that Jesus died for them, and that's all that matters. We want to rationalize and figure out and explain away, and if I can't figure this out, I'm not going to get saved. No, we just come to him like a child like a child who's on the edge of a swimming pool and he can't swim but he jumps in that pool with abandon why because he knows his abba his daddy is there to catch him that's the way we trust god with that childlike faith he says unless you come to him like a child you can't be saved Psalm 8, 2, you have taught children. This is a new, I've been reading in the New King James today. I don't usually preach from there. But the new living of verse 2 says this. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When we have that dinner in Cordial, I've asked uh, uh, one of our great prayer partners and big supporters of our church. Never been here, but they, they help us pay bills and they pray for us. She's got a little boy named Kirk. I've asked him to share a testimony that night. Her little boy's name is Kirkland. And there's just something unique about this little boy. I mean, the hand of God is on this little boy. He gets it. He understands. He's made his profession of faith in Jesus. But he understands it's heaven or hell. It's just that simple. And so he's been called to the principal's office before. Because he found out there was a little Muslim girl in his class, and he told her she was going to hell if she didn't get saved. So, mama gets a phone call. But Kirkland's right. I just pray God gives him the discernment. It came up on Halloween time, and another little girl's going to be a witch. He said, if you're going to practice witchcraft, you're going to go to hell. I mean, that childlike faith, he, mama got a phone call again to go to the principal's office. But we're to. There's, there's truth to that. We, we sometimes forget how black and white the gospel really is. It's heaven or hell, turn or burn. There's no other way but to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. So kids just have that childlike faith. I was reading about the, the great British preacher George Whitfield who started an orphanage, I think, down in Savannah. And whenever he would preach, little children would gather around him as he preached. And boy, he, people did not like this man. Now, this man was a man of great faith. He had that orphanage and fed all those kids. Never one time asked for money. This is, a, this is off the subject a little bit, but one time they were completely out of food, had no breakfast for the children. And he told the, the worker, said, what do we do? He said, sit the kids down. But Mr. Whitfield, we don't have any food. Sit them down. Set the table. Sit them down. And they're just looking at him. This man's lost his mind. He prayed. He asked God to provide. And you can fill in the blanks. A knock at the door. Somebody who had excess milk said, hey, we just thought maybe you could use this. He was a man of great faith. But people hated him. Just like they hate anybody who stands strong for the gospel today. They hate him. They said people would throw stuff at him. They would hurl insults at him. And those little children would just look up at Mr. Whitfield and cry. It broke their hearts. They're like, this is a man of God. He's telling you the truth. How can you? That innocence of a child. I read about other martyrs. One guy was tied to a chair and burned at the stake. And they said little five- and six-year-old children gathered around that man, and they prayed for him and rejoiced that he was about to be in heaven. God, give us that simple, childlike faith. The victory that we have in Jesus ought to silence all the enemies and all who oppose him. He's worthy of our praise because of the guaranteed victory that we have in him. Number three, we praise God for his glorious creation. We praise God for his glorious creation. Look at verse 3 in the New King James. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. The New, the new Living says in verse 3, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you set in place. God has a design. He's the master creator. He spoke everything into existence, but there are no accidents. Our grandmother was an interior decorator, and we just knew if we moved somewhere new, we didn't hang any pictures, we didn't arrange any furniture, waited until Mama got there because we knew she was going to make it look the best. That's what she was by trade, and our, my, our Aunt Lydia is the same way now. We don't hang any pictures until she tells us where to put them. Mama knew how to make it look just right. She had a plan in what she did. God had a master plan when he spoke the world into existence. I mean, who tells the stars when to shine? Who tells the ocean waves? Nicole C. Mullen says you can only come this far. God has a design in all of that. If you walked into my office, which is now in my home, and by, it's still a disaster. I moved it home from a church two years ago, and it st- I got boxes. I gave away boxes and boxes of books to our students, and I still have too many books. But I've got some pictures on the wall, and, and I chose what I wanted. I had more pictures than I had room in my little office, but I chose what I wanted. You can guess what some of those pictures are. My family. Of course, my grandson, Wyatt, he's prominently in there. My UGA diploma, my Liberty diploma, I chose on purpose where I wanted those because I did it. I designed it. God designed the world. He does nothing wrong. He does all things well. And listen, by the way, God did everything on purpose, including your gender. To say, for somebody to say they were born the wrong gender, that is spitting in the face of God. Because God made them male and female, we saw in Genesis. And he makes absolutely no mistakes. When you criticize another human being, you are criticizing the creation of God. And you know what else? And I'm guilty of this. When we criticize ourselves and things I don't like about myself, I'm criticizing the creation of God. Now, sometimes it's fair, okay? If I'm not taking care of myself, I'm overeating, I ought to be critical of that and take care of the temple of, 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 the, of the Holy Spirit. But the glory of the stars, the galaxies, billions and billions of miles, the sun and the earth at a perfect distance. If the sun was just a little bit closer to the earth, we'd burn up. If it was just a little bit further away, we would freeze to death. When we look at God's finger work and how vast the expanse and the galaxies are, David said, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? The glory of his purposeful and intentional creation should bring up praise in our hearts. And number four, we praise God for his son, our Messiah. This is a messianic psalm. It's pointing to Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the coming Messiah. Psalm 8, 5 says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, man, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. Man is the crown jewel of God's creation. Shirley McLean is a wacko. We don't worship the earth. We don't worship the trees. We worship God. And there's an order even in creation. Only human beings are made in the image of God. Now, listen, we ought to take care of the earth. We ought to, we ought to do what we can to, to steward the, the environment. We ought to take care of animals. You feed animals. You don't mistreat animals. That's why evolution is such a damnable lie. To say that stuff just happened. No, God said, let us He uses a plural pronoun, let us. Who is the us in creation? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity is present in creation. God said, Genesis 1.26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. 
When I go to Panama City and I eat at Captain Anderson's and I get that grilled Grecian grouper mm, that all of our family loves so much, that's a reminder that we have dominion over the sea. We get to enjoy that. The livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female at birth. He didn't say you wait till they get older to make up their mind. If you go to a veterinarian, there is no question from that veterinarian, this is a male or a female dog. They don't get to decide. God assigned our gender at birth. That's enough about that. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve, he said, y'all need to go have babies. Adam and Steve can't have babies. And Eve and Louise can't have babies. It's Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and the animals that scurry along the ground. So when we criticize another person, we're criticizing the creation of God. That was perfection in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine no sin? I mean, if I can imagine going a few hours without having a sinful thought, you know, just wanting to, you know, I'm living in northeast Georgia and Hall County. And having to drive on 985 and 365, it tries my spirituality. Can I just tell you that? Why people drive 60 in the left lane, I, I, I don't understand that. But it just happens here in Hall County. If you want to know how spiritual you are, go down. To, I met a high school buddy down in downtown Atlanta the other day. Lord have mercy. I didn't know until I got back in my car. I was literally parked. There was the Peachtree Plaza sundial right beside me. But I couldn't even tell it. It was so big. I don't like traffic. It tries my spirituality when I do that. But I'm created in the image of God. Garden of Eden. There was no sin yet. But what happened when Adam sinned? Now we all live under the curse, right? When I have to deal with that crabgrass that's taken over my stinking yard. I hate it. I can do the dandelions, you know, with weed and feed. But I got crabgrass everywhere. I've been calling people. It's going to cost me a fortune to get rid of crabgrass. Therefore, I'm just going to have some crabgrass. But when Adam sinned, the curse came in the fallen world. Women have to suffer in childbirth. Men have to toil over the soil. What does Romans say? Romans 5.14. Adam is a symbol. The first man, Adam, is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, that wonderful grace of Jesus the cathedral sing about, and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of Adam's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. If the Lord doesn't come back in my lifetime, there will be a funeral. I will, I, will, I will breathe my last breath. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness being made right before God. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's what Jesus did. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness, that death on the cross, the crucifixion, brings a right relationship with God 
and new life for everybody. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. That's why Jesus came, to restore lost humanity. That's why Transformation Church exists, to let East Hall and Northeast Georgia and beyond know that God wants to restore you. God wants to adopt you into his family. You're already made in his image. Sometimes I hear people say, we're we're all children of God. No, that's not accurate. We're not all children of God. We're all creations of God. We're all creations of God, but we become a child of God when we repent of our sins and invite Christ into our life to be the Lord and Savior of our life. So Psalm 8 is a prophecy of the Messiah who's coming one day to restore that fallen creation. That'll be in the millennial reign when we rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years on earth. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For the Scriptures say, God has put all things under His authority, Jesus. Of course, when it says all things are under His authority, that doesn't include God Himself because He gave Christ His authority. Paul says to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1 and verse 19, Also pray you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. We're all creations of God. We're not all children of God if we put our faith in Him. That is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand. We're talking, is Jesus right-handed or left-handed this morning? We don't know the answer to that, but He's seated at God's right hand. Now, He's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God put all things under the authority of Jesus Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Jesus Christ is returned one day to restore fallen creation. This includes our redeemed bodies. I ain't going to need these glasses anymore. No hernia surgery, no chemo treatments, Miss Jenna. None of the aches and pains that we have on this earth. Romans 8.23 says, and we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, but it's a foretaste of future glory. When I get my glorified, perfect body, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope. I'm living for that day, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We've already got all we're going to get except the glorified body and being in the presence of Jesus. So we've already got that. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. It's an earnest payment for our sins. We're the crown jewel of creation. That's why Jesus died for humans. One day, one day he's coming, and the name of the Lord will be truly magnified over all the earth. Gloria Gaither wrote these words, the marketplace is empty. There's no traffic in all the streets. The builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors. In the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth is going to be suspended as the king comes through the gate. Happy faces line the hallways. Those whose lives have been redeemed. Broken homes that he has mended. Those from prison he has freed. Little children and the aged, hand in hand, stand all aglow, who were crippled, broken, ruined, clad in garments white as snow. Can you hear it? I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng. The flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding. Heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choir is now assembled. Starts to sing amazing grace. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sound and now his face I see. The king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Do you know that he's coming for you? 
Have your sins been forgiven? Has your name been written in the Lamb's book of life? If so, it's only natural, it's only normal that we would say in praise with the psalmist, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Are you ready for his glorious presence? Look at your conclusion. Number one, are you faithful to praise God daily? Are you faithful to praise God daily? In your prayer time, which I hope is at least daily, we should always begin in praise. Sometimes we treat God like Santa Claus. We just jump up in his lap and say, I need this, I need this, I need this, give me this, give me this. I need it quick too. No, we ought to start off in praise and adoration of who he is. In fact, a good acronym to help you in your prayer time is ACTS, A-C-T-S. See if I can remember it. The A is Adoration, we praise him for who he is. Then next, the C is confession. We ask forgiveness for our sins, any unconfessed sin in our life. The T stands for thanksgiving. We thank him for his innumerable blessings in our life. And finally, the N, the S, the word supplication is when we ask. And it's okay to ask. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. But our Time of prayer and intimacy with the Father should be more than just asking. Asking, Just praise him for who he is. And my best friend in the world's name was Ben Atkinson. He was a minister of music. I preached his funeral several years ago. He died of cancer. And the last song he ever recorded, I heard him sing it a million times with his guitar. I've got a video of him singing it less than a week before he died. It's amazing what praising will do. When we begin to praise the Lord, chains start to fall off, demons flee. In the presence and the name of Jesus, there's power and there is victory. I wonder, do you know him? Number two there is, are you certain that you've accepted his gift of salvation? Yep. Everybody in this room, I know for a fact you're, crea- you're a creation of God. You're created in his image. But I can't see everybody's heart. You can't see my heart. I hope you think I'm a Christian, but you don't know I am because you can't see my heart. Are you a child of God? A child of God is one who realized when Jesus died on that old rugged cross that we're about to sing about, when Jesus died on that old rugged cross, he did it because I'm a sinner. He did it because I messed up, y'all. I can be a whack job when I live my life for myself instead of the Lord. Uh, I messed up. Jesus died in my place. And he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. If you've never been saved, today is the day of salvation. And I submit to you then and only then can you really start to praise him like he deserves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your majesty. Thank you for your glory as evidence in the stars and the planets and the trees and creation. Lord, thank you for your glory that's everywhere. You tell us in Romans 1 that even your creation screams evidence of who you are, that you're God. Lord, I thank you for the people that I've been able to fellowship with this morning. They're a reminder of your glory because every person here is fearfully and wonderfully created in your image. And we know that you don't make any junk. We know you don't make any mistakes. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice today and those who will listen later on the World Wide Web to be sure to know that they know that they know there's been a time in their life when they've asked you to forgive them of their sins. They've asked to be adopted into your family and to be transformed into the image of your son Jesus. I pray that even now, Lord, people would turn to you for salvation. In this time of invitation, Lord Jesus, as Adele reminds us that it's only possible because of that old rugged cross that Jesus died on, help us to do business with you. 
For some of us, that means we just need to pray. We need to praise you because we hadn't done that yet today. Others, Lord, may need to, to confess sins that hadn't yet been confessed. Or if others may need to be saved, perhaps you'll lead some to become a member of Transformation Church. Lord, whatever you're calling us to do this morning, may we be obedient because you alone are worthy. If you died on that old rugged cross for me, and we know you did, there's nothing you can ask us to do that's going to be too much. So we trust you. Now help us to obey you in Jesus' name. <laughs>